QN April 2012 podcast. Mike, do you realise really, why I'm saying April 2012 and not a number podcast? Because we were at 2.9 yep. before, which is your idea, I hasten to add. It was. Poor foresight. Uh, not Craig Forsyth, Paul Forsyth. <laughs> uh, so it's April, uh, yeah, April, what a, yeah, what a good Because the next podcast will be 3.0 mathematically, and that means that will be season three of our podcast, but we're not so in season three. So you basically three. endorsed it up, and we're going to have to rename all the podcasts. But anyway, it's good to be here, isn't it? It is, absolutely. So Mike's here, uh, as ever, I'm John, uh, Jason's here. I'm here, hello. And uh, with us to this podcast is our Watford fan, David Levy. Hi, David. Good afternoon. Twitter, Watford fan and Twitter legend, there has to absolutely, be Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, we are four Watford fans, lifelong Watford fans, season ticket holders in the Rooker End, and as ever, these podcasts are our take on life as a Watford fan. We've got a bit of a youth look on our podcast today, Jason. We have. We're going to be talking How to... can uh, you talk about youth and then go straight to Jason? Thanks <laughs> for storing the balance. Mike, can, can I just at this point, there's a few grey hairs in your beard there, Mike. <laughs> yes, yeah, pointing out my, uh, my age problem. Um, yes, we'll be talking to Nick Cox uh, about the Academy. Uh, I think he'll tell us a little bit about EPPP as well. And uh, we'll also be chatting. Uh, a big a big into this this month, Dave, is Sean Murray. He's been exciting, hasn't he, so far this season? He has. He's uh, been a breath of fresh air. And I remember someone saying in a kind of jokey prediction at the beginning of the season that what would happen is Murray to get first start in March and be our top scorer. And funnily enough, that's not <laughs> a long way from the truth. But that kind of masks uh, the other successes we've had and just what an important player he's become. And uh, I think that's good for the club. It's great to see him playing. And yeah, the more the merrier. He's an important player and he's a player that we need to keep hold of. And we will be hearing from the Sky Sports coverage of the Hide and Seek Championship later on in the podcast. It's been a good month, so let's crack on with this month's podcast. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. Another month of Watford football has gone past and it was quite a month that March was. Watford were unbeaten. We didn't lose a game. Amazing. Amazing in March. Draws against West Ham and Coventry plus wins against Royston Vasey, Derby, Bristol, Ipswich and Leeds United. It was a fantastic month. Surely at the end of an unbeaten month the manager of a football club was bound to get management, but he didn't, Jason. He didn't. And the question is, is that a good or a bad thing? Now, it's bad. Is it frustrating because we're not getting the media attention that maybe we deserve? Um, or is it a good thing because we're uh, keeping the spotlight off of Daesh and the boys? Personally, I think it's a bad thing. I would like to have seen him get that recognition. Absolutely. And let's be honest, he doesn't need a manager of the month award for other clubs to see if he's any good or not or if the players are any good or not because they're professionals if they want to come along here and, and pick up a good player they know what they need to do they've got their scouts out there I think it's a bad thing I'd love to have seen him got Yeah, Huff. I think he deserved it and I think it would have been nice for him to it's almost be vindicated um, in the not only in the national media but in, in Watford as well because a lot of Watford fans weren't sure about about Dyche's appointment possibly still aren't but you can't argue that he, he's turned it around after a very very shaky start that in anyone's language is an amazing month of results it's an outstanding month you look at the teams that we beat as well and the way that we did it and the clean sheets that we started to keep as well I think it was a fantastic month I don't think Dyche will actually be that bothered about winning it and nor should we it would have been a nice added bonus but I'd rather that we won all our games in April than got manager of the month in so, March. So, D- Dave, was there one performance for you which, which stood out? I have to say Leeds, not just because I was there, but <laughs> was 
one of the most fun away trips I've had in many a year supporting Watford, baiting Warnock, <laughs> seeing Robbo fall over uh, repeatedly, John Eustace sort of nullifying Michael Brown. It was great. And seeing Big Chris score twice was fantastic. It was in some ways the perfect away day, actually. Little old Watford go up to a massive club Smash them 2 0. Thanks very much. Let's go and get drunk and enjoy the weekend. <laughs> well, that was just me. But. <laughs> it's always nice beating Northern teams. But with Chris, though, I've been critical of him. It was that sort of really, you wanted more from him. And it's it's here now, Mike. Yeah, I mean, he, there was never any doubt in that, that, that Chris Ibalumo has performed at this level. And I think that's probably what was most disappointing for a lot of people. By his own admission, this is by far and away his worst year as a striker at this level. And he scored. He must have scored against us. Every striker probably <laughs> still in, in, in the profession has scored against us. And it, it, what it was, whether we were playing the wrong sort of football for him, whether we weren't sort of utilising him properly, I don't know. I mean, he looked like a man who was was probably low on confidence. And whether you can trace that back all the way to the start of the season where he played got an injury and carried on playing when he wasn't at full fitness. I think, that, yeah, it did look like that. Certainly those early couple of months, he just didn't look fit at all. Um, and remember, at the start of the season, we play a lot of Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday football. He's uh, in the latter years of his football career as well, shall we say. <laughs> you can tell him that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm way in the latter years of my football career. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's hard work for a guy of his age to be playing well, yeah, I don't think that's, 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 that's an excuse though. I think when, he's been, when, he's, when he's not if you're not fit prepared for the season no, he, yeah, needs, he needed matches he needed yeah. 90 minutes I've heard that he sort of said to Dyche that play me for 90 minutes for a couple of times you'll see what I can do and he's not done that uh, it's amazing what can happen when he plays games it's a bit like Deeney we played him as a right winger a left winger substitute we've given him a run of games in the first team as a centre forward it's his, the position we signed him to play in and he started scoring goals. It's amazing what happens when you start doing that. Yeah. I, think, I think it's interesting. I mean, Deeney is um, is one of those blood and thunder players. He's sort of blustery, sort of all whirring arms and legs, and he will never, ever, ever give up. As you know, he kickstarted that Burnley result, and he was flat on his back when when that final whistle went there. But I've still got reservations about about Troy. And he, I like him as a player. I love having him as a Watford player because he's just he's got that energy and he's got that buzz and that drive. But I've got massive concerns about his finishing. But, but the thing is, he, he you know, when we spoke to him in the you know, when we interviewed him, he did say that he came to football very late in life. He knows he's not the most skillful player in the world. Is he the type of player that, you know, he's not a Danny Graham who we're going to buy, develop and sell on? I know this sounds really, really negative and bad to Troy, and I'm really sorry, but <laughs> this is his level. This is this top of his level. Well, possibly right. Um... I mean, you could argue that the, his sort of his industry and that side of his game is worth X amount of goals. But Dave, you're at the at the Leeds game, and he should have he should have scored there, shouldn't he? No, absolutely, he should have scored at least two. He had the one on one going through, and yeah, he definitely should have scored. And you did, I did fear at that point that was going to be a bit of a turning point, albeit late on in the game. But I think with Deeney is. I think you're right, there are some players, if you look at 10 outfield players, there are some who are young and we don't know how their careers are going to go and they might go on to better things. There are some who we've bought and we're going to sell on and they're going to go on to better things and then there have to be some who are in the middle and this is their natural level. I think there's nothing wrong with saying that we're the 30th best football team in the country. Of all the people that play football in, this, in, in the country, in the world, Troy Deeney plays for us, he's one of our good players, that's fine. Jason, we are, we're, we're pre-Hull City at home, they are a little bit above us. They, as well as we do, is technically have a, a shout for the playoffs, but you know I'm not saying we really have got a chance. And we've got Brighton, 
on Tuesday. How are you, how are you looking ahead to these next two games? They're going to be a strange couple of games, aren't they? Yeah. We're sort of at a point now where we really haven't got anything to play for. Technically, yes, we uh, we can still reach the playoffs, and we are playing teams that are in between us and the playoffs, so that's a, a good thing. But it's probably too much to do now with the one point out of six over the Easter weekend. We probably left ourselves too much to do. Whereas these two clubs, yes, can still make the playoffs. So. What are we going to? I think Hull are not that different from us. They've got a better chance of doing it. They're four points off at the moment. So, so yeah, that they're so they four can. points off having lost before mm. the last game. They've lost the last five matches. Yeah. And yet they're in, which says a lot about the yeah, championship yeah. and all the cliches well, about we, this we, league. We, but yeah. we were talking before we before we went on air. I love saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, before we went on air, we were just having a chat with a couple of our studio guests. Uh, <laughs> but we're saying you don't. You need to. All you need to be in this division is above average, and above average amount of times. All the teams that, you know, Southampton, who are a very, very functional side with an outstanding striker in Ricky Lambert, um, you know, they, they rolled us over with, with difficult, without very much difficulty, but without them getting really getting out of third or fourth gear. So the championship is great, but, but is it that great? But, but my real point is, isn't it nice to have a game that there's nothing riding on it for us? I think to a man, we probably all thought that at this stage of the game, certainly with three or four games to go, we thought we'd probably still be scrapping for our... Well, I, I didn't, I didn't want to be having to get wins well, by the exactly. time we face yeah, exactly. these yeah, runner clubs much. that we've had the last couple of weeks. Yeah. I'm really glad that... Hey, but we're nothing to play for. We've got a, Friday, a Saturday afternoon, a bit of fun and games. Early goal, who knows what could happen? <laughs> Are you positive, Mike? Yeah, an early goal for Hull and the whole thing would be a reverse. From the rookery end... We're going to be speaking to Sean Murray later in the podcast. He has been the, the hot topic and hot conversation even before he made his appearances because there's been lots of goals of him on, on YouTube. We need to keep hold of him, don't we, Mike? Yeah, I mean, the, to be perfectly honest, the last thing I wanted was to tell Sean Murray to break into the team and start scoring goals left, right and centre. <laughs> and what's he gone and done? He's broken into the team and started scoring goals left, right and centre. Those of you who listen regularly will know I'm not of the, an entirely sunny disposition. I can always find the negative. Um, and I'm just uh, scared that we're going to lose him in the summer. Someone's going to come and buy him. Dave, do you think we're going to? You reckon we're going to lose him in the summer? Mm, not soon? this summer. Let's see how he starts next season. I don't think we'll lose him this summer because he's he's not that widely known outside of this division. Certainly, probably not even outside that this club that well. But uh, it won't be long. He's an investment. That's how we continue to survive. We produced him a couple of years, five million. Thanks very much. Roll on the next five? one. Yeah, twenty-five. Well, yeah, apparently it's valued at 25. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd, that'd be nice. I think for, for Sean, if he um, has a, a, a breakthrough next season, like Ashley Young did when he yeah. played in the uh, promotion season under Boothroyd, if, if he sort of progressed at a similar level, then, yeah, you could see him going maybe at the end of next season. That, that means in but five years' time, the national media will be castigating Sean Murray for diving in a uh, high-profile... <laughs> <laughs> we'll speak to Sean later on uh, in, uh, in, the, in the podcast, but... We've got an idea about one way we could guarantee keeping hold of him this summer. Later on Sky Sports News, Chris Kamara is Lionel Richie in Stars in Their Eyes. Harry Redknapp speaks about accepting his new job of a lifetime as a lookalike for the cartoon character Droopy. But first, here's Georgie Thompson with all the headlines. Hello and welcome back to Sky Sports coverage of the Footballer Hide and Seek Championships. Yes, we don't have the rights for the Olympics or Euro 2012, so we have to fill our summer schedules with something and competitive hide and seek it is. 
So here we are at Kew Gardens. And so far in the first round games, Liverpool and Manchester City have played. Liverpool winning with a time of 2 minutes 54 seconds. The Reds used Andy Carroll's height to their advantage as he spotted Carlos Tevez over a hedge. Quite remarkable as he's one of the few people to have seen him at all this season. Height advantage or a lack of it was also a game changer for QPR as they were surprise winners over hotly tipped Blackpool. Sean Wright Phillips' speed and lack of height allowed him to find Kevin Phillips under a bush in just 40 seconds. Certainly the time to beat. Just before the break, the Watford v Norwich game started. Watford were expected to win as the Canaries had Grant Holt hiding for them and you'd expect the astronauts from the International Space Station could spot Fat Grant. However, we are yet to see Watford set off and try and find their hider, Sean Murray. Let's see if I can grab a word with his partner, Chris Iwalumo. Chris, why haven't you started yet? Well, you see, uh, the boss, he's had me play in a very physical role this season. I've got a few knocks and he's told me to take it easy over the summer. But, Chris, you haven't even started walking cautiously. Aye, the boss said I wasn't to let anyone find Sean over the summer, not even me. I was to send him off with a bag of wagon wheels and a pack of panda pops to keep him going till the new season starts. Okay, a strange strategy, but I guess you guys really want to keep hold of him? Aye, and we're going to enter him into a local Sunday hide-and-seek league come next season so no one can find him in between fixtures. But Chris, if that's the case, what if you can't find him come the start of the new season? No bother, we'll get Lee Hodson on it. That boy's got a sense of smell and the foraging skills of a weasel. When you grab a match day programme, check out the From the Rookery End column. So when Brits on Belonga walked out as part of the starting eleven against Coventry last month, he became the 50th, that's 5-0, academy graduate to make a first team appearance since the current academy setup was started in 98-99. Uh, man response for that is Nick Cox, he's the director of the academy at Harefield. Uh, we spoke to him back in November 2010. We got to speak to him twice today, once before the match and a little bit after the match when we were joined halfway through by Ross Wilson and interrupted also by Sean Dyche halfway through um, to sort of so get an to idea. keep his nose out, really, shouldn't we? <laughs> We've interviewed him twice, you know. He's got his little bit of little fame on the podcast. Um, so we chat to, uh, to Nick about uh, the Academy and just to initially get an idea about how Watford Academy is different from everyone else's. What makes us different, I would suggest, is what we do between the ages of 12 and 16, where we have a good, strong partnership with the Harefield Academy, and we have a large number of our boys enrolled at that school. The benefit of that being is that we can not only train twice as much as we used to uh, back in the old days, but it also means we can keep a good grip on their education and we can spend a lot more time with the boys so that we, we know a little bit more about how they live their lives as well. The other massive difference between us and other clubs is the opportunity that there is at this club. 50 academy debuts since 98, many more before that, before the academy yeah. opened in its current form. I would suggest opportunity is the key ingredient to developing talent and you get that here, you don't necessarily get it at some of the clubs up the road where they may be lucky to see one boy a year, we're seeing four or five boys a year make their debut. Nick, it's really interesting about the, the education side of things, how big a part does that play in, in, a, in a boy's development? Is, that, is it quite a big part of watching them as a player? Yeah, I think it's, it's more a moral obligation, really. We, we're not obliged to look after a boy's education as much as we currently do. We just think it's the right thing. 
there's a great opportunity at this club for boys to become professional footballers. However, statistics will tell you the majority of boys that are in academies anywhere in the country won't become footballers. So we've got a responsibility beyond football to teach kids about life in general, to teach them to be disciplined, respectful and professional. And education is part of that, making sure that they've got a plan B if they don't become a footballer. This week you announced the, um, the second year scholars. Yep. So that means they are two years, so they're 18? Uh, 18 turning 19. 18 yeah. turning 19. So they've had two years as well. well when I started watching football, they were YTS. Yeah. They were they were you know, they were weren't professional footballers. They, they, they so three have signed professional contracts this week. So it's three out. Of, so at the current under 18s team, right? Which will be <laughs> let's let's say let's say 13 because <laughs> yeah. that's you know uh, 15 let's say because of, of that sort of substitutes and, and squad. How many? So is that, that's six who have made professional contracts at our club. So of that squad, six boys have got professional contracts. There's been a further four who it hasn't quite worked out for them here. Obviously, we're going to still keep working with those boys and, and do our very best to help them have a career in the game if possible. But that, that's a good percentage. That's a, a good number. We, we really average around 55% of all of our boys that become youth team players or apprentices or scholars or YTSs or whatever you call them. 55% go on to be professionals and make their first team debut, which again is a statistic that probably betters most, most is that, players. Is that, is that a Watford target? Is that something you'd hang your hat on? Is that, uh, no, we, we set ourselves targets really on number of first team darts, debuts and contribution of minutes across the course of the season. Um, obviously in order to do that you've got to get as many boys signing professional contracts as possible. Really, we've got no particular quota, um, we will sign boys that are good enough and obviously at this point it's not just an academy decision, It's that's where the manager and, and his team of staff come into play. It's like signing a player, we, we're preparing these boys, we're, we're putting them forward as potential candidates to be pros at this club. The manager ultimately has got to decide if they're players that he wants to sign for his squad. It's, uh, it's Grand National Day today and lots of people are putting on a bet that don't normally do. I don't know if you're a betting man, but if we gave you a pound, who would you nominate as the next Watford Academy prospect to make their first team debut? I wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think uh, it, people ask that question all the time. Um, it's a hard one to answer. You've got to remember that uh, at Ash, uh, 16 we, we weren't sure if Ashley Young was yeah. going to be a footballer or not. Mm. Look what he's done. We've had plenty of talented players that we thought this kid must be nailed on to be a superstar and he's fallen out of the game. It, it's, it's, uh, there's no exact science to it. We think we're good at it. It's difficult. But I also think it puts massive pressure on the boys themselves. You know, if I start flagging up in the public eye young players that are doing ever so well, it puts a lot of pressure on them and, and that can make the journey harder. So what I will say is, listen, you've got Sean Murray this year who's only just turned 18. <laughs> we forget that Lee Hodgson is still only 20, I think he is. We've got plenty in there that are probably ahead of their time, really, probably um, performing beyond their years. We're um, obviously towards the end of the season. The team's safe, the first team is safe, mid-table. Do you get in the, in the manager's ear a little bit more to suggest that there's a few more plays you want to try out in the first team? <laughs> No, not at all. Um, the, the first team, <laughs> the first team yeah. selection is his business. He obviously is fully aware of what this club is all about and he's fully aware of his responsibility beyond just winning games is to make sure that the long-term future of the club sees players come through. So he, he doesn't need me in his ear. He has that experience within the academy himself. He once was in that position of trying to push kids forwards to, to a manager himself. Uh, he doesn't need me in his ear. He, he's got that at his heart, I think. 
we've been sorry, we've been we've been up to we've been up to training. I've been lucky to watch some of the, the younger teams in action, and we've seen. Call him Sean. I don't know if I'm allowed to call him Sean. Mr. Dice <laughs> yeah. up there. So he obviously we obviously pays interest. He's obviously really tuned into to the situation. There has been a bit of a sort of, and certainly at the start of the season, there's a groundswell of opinion by some of Watford fans that the youth players weren't getting as much of a look in as they were under under Malky. Yeah. How do you feel that's panned out this year? And were there any reasons for that? Or I think the first one is that last year was an exceptional season um, beyond everyone's expectation. This year we've probably had a normal season. So contrast that against um, last season, you begin to think it doesn't look quite so good. It's been a phenomenal season this year. You know we've hit our 50th um, debut. Sean Murray's broken onto the scene, done incredibly well. We're still averaging a good number of minutes that come from academy players. Last year just happened to be an exceptional one. Um, reasons behind that? Well, I think the seven substitutes has made a massive difference. We perhaps have had boys on the bench last year that wouldn't have got on the bench this year and as a result they've contributed perhaps when a game was already convincingly won or when a game we were chasing a game that we lost it, it, it has made a big difference and I think there's a, a massive movement across football to go back to seven subs next year and that's definitely something that I would kind of endorse. Um, so the, um, the EPPP, the yeah. Elite Player Performance Plan, yeah. I mean, a massive talking point uh, in English football. Uh, it guarantees football league clubs more funding, majority clubs anyway, more funding for their youth development over a four year period. Uh, it could mean that uh, clubs receive lower fees for their players that are under the age of 17 and that Category 1 academies uh, would be able to scout across the country and we could see some of the bigger boys having the ability to steal some of the top prospects from the smaller clubs. Now, where is a club like Watford, where we uh, have the status of being a bastion of youth development, where, where are we at the moment with this EPP major overhaul? Good question, where are we? <laughs> um, obviously it's been at the forefront of pretty much everything we've been doing over the last uh, six months to a year. As of Monday morning, I think, academies must be prepared to ha open their doors to a Belgian company who will come and audit what we do. They could turn up at any point within the next 18 months. We'll obviously be given a little bit of warning. And after their visit, each academy will be categorised one, two, three or four. So all I can tell you is we're ready. Um, the doors are ready to be opened. If someone wants to come and see what we do, then we think they'll be impressed by what we do. And we'll wait and see what they what they make of, of the way we operate. I think it's important to point out that, yeah, that, that the EPPP does see clubs categorised. It will see perhaps an easier movement of young players between clubs but there's a lot of things in there that are actually going to see uh, the, the standards raised I think and a lot of the work that we've done in the last five years potentially now is going to be recognised so the partnership we have at the school that sees us train more than any other club that now becomes something that all clubs must strive to to actually create con greater contact hours you're going to see more um, coaches need to be employed the, the, the qualifications that the coaches hold must be better um, so all in all it's going to be a good thing for the game but yeah there is that worry that some of the smaller clubs might lose out so we see it as our job here is to make sure that what we deliver for our boys means that they don't want to go anywhere else, that they've got no interest in going anywhere else. And the big thing that we've got is that opportunity that I was talking about earlier to play in the first team. You could be the best player at a certain clubs and never get a game. Here, you, you'll, you'll, if you're good enough, you'll get a game. With, as a Watford fan, the thing that frustrates me is that we're talking about other, the, the good of the game yeah. and other clubs um, with EPPP, they could basically be doing what we've been doing for quite a long time at the Royal Wee here at Watford. <laughs> Why have other clubs not done it? Why have other clubs not done what we've done? 
Uh, if you'd lived my life for the last five years, you'd know why it's hard. It's hard. You know, you're, you're taking full responsibility for the a kid's upbringing. You're with them 60 hours a week. You've you've got to get them uh, to school every morning. You've got to get them home again. You're concerned about every minute of the day rather than just an hour and a half in an evening. You know, we're, we're having to face challenges all the time, and that's credit to all of the staff in the academy, uh, all of the staff at Harefield. It's, it's been a tough, tough business, and we're really proud of what we do, but it, it isn't easy, and uh, would I want to relive those five years? Yeah, I would, because we had some great successes, but it's been hard. It's been to really be fair, hard. Nick does look absolutely knackered. <laughs> 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 Sorry. I suppose the big question is, if EPPP had come in, we're a Category 2, for example, would we still have Sean Murray? Um, it's, do you know what? Only time will tell. No one really knows how this is going to pan out. Um, it's going to happen, so we're going to embrace it, and time will tell. Um, but what I will say is youth development is at the heart of what this club is all about and always has been, and I think always will be. You can't change a club's DNA fundamentally. This is who we are. And you need that in order to be successful at developing young players. There'll be clubs that don't have that, and it won't matter what they do, it won't matter um, what rules they start, unless it's at the heart of what they do, unless they, they really fundamentally believe in it, they won't be successful at it. So uh, uh, our job might get harder, but I would envisage that we will still continue to produce young players that go and play on the first team pitch there. From the rookery end you've recently had to make decisions on the second year scholars A what makes helps you make that decision and then B what's the next step for the guys that made it and, and for the guys that didn't it's, it's an ongoing process we, we're reviewing the boys on a constant basis and they'll be given regular feedback so they'll get probably two opportunities in a year to have a proper good formal debrief like any job I suppose a, a one to one an appraisal but they'll get regular monthly feedback targets this is what you need to achieve and we actually do that right across all the age groups and we've had to make uh, retain release decisions across all of our age groups yeah, we do that every February March time which is never pleasant but it, it needs to be done but the most high-profile high group is always that group of second years who are basically looking to graduate from the academy to become pros. Um, the staff that work with those boys will probably... <laughs> and it's all Ross Wilson's fault. <laughs> he released those boys. <laughs> Come here, join in. Come here, we are the ant and deck of Watford Football Club. Make sure you stand the right way around. So the academy will have put forward its opinions on each of those players and then right at the end of the process we'd have brought in the first team manager and his staff to discuss things like pathways, the way the squad will look next year, the numbers within the squad and that helps to make balance some of those decisions, off. balance some of those decisions. So it's, yeah. it's interesting that, that you've joined us Ross, thanks very much for, for giving us a couple of minutes, I know you like... Uh, make sure he's telling you the right <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I read with interest Nick's comments about the, the decisions made on the second year scholars and, and a, a bit of it was you can be unlucky in as much as if there's a couple of people already at the yeah. team who are ahead of you in your, your team, in your position, you're not going to get a... Would you play a part in saying actually we're looking at strengthening bringing someone in next season would it go that far ahead and would that make a, a, an impact on the, on the yeah, second in, in terms of recruitment for the first team um, myself the manager the staff 
when we're talking, we'll always look at what we call capability gaps. So wherever in the squad we think is lacking in capability in certain areas. So obviously there might be some areas that in an ideal world we would like to strengthen, but recruitment needs to focus on areas where we definitely need to strengthen because we're not a club that's got enough funds or enough resources to go and strengthen every single area that we would ideally want to strengthen. So we'll focus on certain capability issues within the squad and then the academy players, we will then make a decision on them as to whether they're going to be you know, a starter player in the squad, are they a cover player, are they a development player? So Sean Murray's a great example this year, but despite being a youth team player at this moment in time, he's absolutely a starting player for us. Whereas maybe Connor Smith, who, will, who we've just um, offered a contract to, he would come into the squad next year as a development player. Again, may spend some time out on loan, may make some impact coming off the bench and things, but he, but that wouldn't be one that, that would that we would not sign another another new player for, for example. With, That's with, exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> but when you, when you have to give them that final sort of that, that final chat, saying "Sorry, lads," or "You've got it, lads," are they are they expecting it? Um, I think probably more so at, at that age group. They'll have a good idea of what they're coming into the room to to receive because they'll know whether they've played regularly in the reserve team. They'll know if they've been called over to train with the first team. They'll know if they've. <laughs> they'll know if they have um, played in the first team so Sean Murray obviously naturally knows that uh, hey Lloyd naturally will know that you know regular appearances mean he's going to get an improved contract so I think the boys probably have a good idea of what, what they're going to get but uh, doesn't stop it becoming a disappointment because it's something they'll have worked for for 10 years we talk as well though we talk as well that if, if, a, if a kid to use a kid as an example at any age level within the academy comes into a meeting like that and it's shocked by what we tell them and it's something that they cannot believe then we feel we've probably not done our job properly in terms of the rest of the process so if a kid is struggling in a certain area then it's absolutely the responsibility of our, our staff within the academy to be telling the, the, the players that what it is they need to work on and then if they've not managed to make progress in that specific area or those specific areas then that's when the decision's made to let them go I mean Ross you've not been in the club for, for that long but Nick so those lads who you let go sort of this last month you would have known them since they were how old? 12? Uh, my first day was their first day. Okay. So I've known them since they were eight, coming in as an under nine. So, so you've known them that session. long? Do you almost do you, do you have to play? Are you the good cop and what's the bad cop? Listen, I think. Because I'm a teacher, I know that you develop those relationships with those young lads, and it's almost like part of your job to develop those, those strong relationships. When you have to give them those really big decisions, how, how does it make you sort of feel? It's not enjoyable, but you know that every one of the players at this club has been given a fair opportunity to yeah. reach the standard, and the boys know it as well. And I think it was in the programme notes today, every single one of the boys that we gave bad news to looked us in the eye, thanked us for the opportunity, uh, and for me, I was really proud of their conduct in the meeting, regardless of whether they've been successful on the football pitch or not. They're decent lads who acted with a little bit of dignity and a little bit of professionalism and for us I said earlier that the majority of our kids don't become footballers so if they can leave us with skills like that then we've, we've done half a job uh, and that's, a, that's the bit that I think people miss and forget about that we're not just preparing footballers we're preparing kids for life in general so yeah not easy but I think all round everybody knows it's everyone comes into it with their eyes open they know the decision has to be made and if you didn't want to put yourself through it you, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't sign up to in the first place. And in terms of your, your guys' views on the uh, on the first team and how they've progressed this season, how would you describe it just in one sentence to, you know, how, how this season's panned out? Progressive. 
Huge achievement. That's two words. I've hyphenated. Hyphenated. Three words between you. Economy of word. Good. Brilliant. This is British Sombolonga doing the conga on from the rookery end. Here it is, a collection of historic and intriguing items that define Watford Football Club. Oh, it's Watford in 100 objects! Our search for 100 objects that define Watford Football Club continue here on From the Rookery Inn. We're up to object number 31 this month. Good Friday saw the reopening of the pub across the road from the, uh, from the stadium. The return of the pub formerly known as the Red Line, now it's known as the Yellow and Red Line. And it was promised to us by the, uh, the Watford owner, Lawrence Bassini, and it's on the first one, first promises that he's actually come through with in yeah. his life ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, Dave oh, sorry. said Dave Levy. It's <laughs> a question. It's a question. It is, is yeah, it, I know. The fair's fair. I mean, that that pub has been lying dormant for a long time. It is an, it's an important place to a lot of Watford fans. I know the club. The, the club bought it when we went up to the Premiership under Boothroyd, I believe, and it's just been lying there ever since. So, business case aside, because quite how much walking trade is going to be there during the week I don't know but you have to say it's nice to have it open it's nice to have a place where you know you can go in be surrounded by like-minded Watford fans get a pint of uh, smart arse which I believe you had a couple of uh, well nice Alan Smart's brewery apparently owns a Really? Is that right? Apparently, yeah. See, so most normal footballs go on to be a, a pub landlord. He owns the, he owns the brewery. <laughs> Which is interesting with his chequered uh, pass with, uh, <laughs> with, with alcohol. He thought he might have to stay clear. Well, but... he, you know, Lawrence has kind of put his money where his mouth is, but there was a man who was responsible for spearheading it, for being the champion of making sure that that pub reopened. It was Neil Price. I got to catch up with him a couple of hours ago before the Hull game to find out what started the process of the red line reopening? I think it's took a long time. I mean, I've been here three years now, uh, working full time. I just had a bit in my bonnet about this place. I came up here, we looked at it, we looked again at it. They'd already looked at it before the previous people decided that really probably there was, having bought it, the plans that they had for it probably didn't fit at the minute with the recession and things. So we, they were sort of in a state of limbo. Obviously, they had... Uh, we had the financial problems a couple of years back, and I didn't. This wasn't high on the list, and I think it just got not overlooked, but sort of sidestepped really. And then when Lawrence came in, I virtually dragged him up here by his coat and said, "Listen, you know, there's there's value in this place and the land, and come on, let's do something because I know we've not had a supporters club for years, and I think we need one. We're in which we're hopefully in the process of doing. We haven't got a hub. We need to re-engage with supporters. In my opinion, that's where football's gone wrong recently in the last few years." And why can't we? It's perfect. And then there was still, you know, people were still a little bit reticent. It, you know, it's a it's a predominantly Asian area. Are they going to support the pub during the day? Is it just going to be a match day pub? If so, is it really going to have enough about it to sustain itself? There was, there was questions. But I think last weekend put that to bed a little bit. I think we, you know, the, the fans have, have supported it. It's uh, it was a massive success both rugby and football days. We are looking to launch sometime in June before the Euros full time. It will be a different entity on the, uh, during the week. I think we just got to see where we go with it. It's a valuable asset, it's a good commodity. I just think that it's a great place and a venue for all people, Watford, supporters, staff, workers, everybody. I think it's a venue. With the, the old red line, what was it about that pub? You know, you've been around the club for a long time. What about that old venue that kind of probably been in the back of your mind that yeah. it's, it's worth doing that? Before it was obviously owned independently, apart from I think in the 50s when 
some ex-player owned it, didn't he, or something, which, uh, which I was told the other day. It wasn't the best of pubs, was it? It wasn't very salubrious inside. Uh, it hadn't been run with that in mind. Um, it was an old, old-style boozer that just happened to be in the right place, not owned by the football club, wasn't it? Yeah. Now it's owned by the football club. Everything comes here. We've got former players... Former players and stuff um, coming back. I've got Alan Smart behind you and Steve Sherwood over there today. Luther's going to be in here pulling some points today as well for me. I think we can make it a real venue and I think it'll have a heart and a soul. And I think this pub has never had a heart and a soul with the football club involved because we haven't owned it. It's another string to what we intend to do here by re-engaging with our fans because I think Watford is... And people might think this is a bit controversial. Watford's a very insignificant football club it's not very huge it's not very big but you know what it's special and it's got something different and in my era here at the club when I was here from 13 in 77 Graham started something off the gaffer the other guy we've called him Graham he dragged this up and he's created something unique and I think we've got to get back to that and I think this is the start of us re-engaging because with the fans re-engaged with us together we're strong and we become not an insignificant, smallish football club. We become a, a market leader. We become a, a club with heart and soul. And Watford needs to have that to be strong. It's the values that Graham put into the club, um, but trying to do it in the modern ways. Yeah, because you can't go back. I mean, you can look back. Nothing really changes in essence, does it? But you just got to retweet it, retinker it for the modern day. And I think. This pub is a prime example. It's you know it's the modern twist on you know what this pub was probably 30 years ago. Well, we're looking forward to drinking many pints in here over the next yeah, many many days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, everybody's welcome, as I say. You know, we've we've had to look at it, and there's been a few things. We've, we've gone for the four under 14 rule. Uh, obviously, you've got to be over 14. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at everything. This is only our second match day, you know, and we're not even full time yet. So we will make some mistakes. There will be things we can do better. But ultimately, it's our pub, and I want supporters to know that this is their pub, as much as it's Lawrence's, the football club's, ours, mine, yours, it's all of ours, and everything is welcome. Every opinion is welcome, as long as it's constructive. We can put the red line into the list, because only X items can go into our 100 objects list. So the red line came, but not the yellow and red line, because we're going to be enjoying many pints in the yellow and red line in the years to come. Object number 32. Can I just interrupt because through uh, we're just standing between the east stand and the rookery at the moment and in the gap I can see Harry the Hornet doing an incredibly passable uh, impression of Freddie Mercury <laughs> with the corner flag as a microphone. He's to, been to Queen's in, classic one vision. He's been, in, he's been in good form last couple of games. He's been good. Uh, if you're, Harry, if you're listening, big up. <laughs> the object number 32 uh, came from Orlando Yard who sent us an email suggesting the family enclosure and terrace in the northeast terrace and the seats area at the bottom of the old section of the East Stand, Orlando gave us his memories of the family enclosure and terrace. So Orlando begins, one thing I can safely say is that Watford fans aren't always the most vocal, with the exception of that fateful Sunderland game when Gifton got injured. Yeah, of course. In fact, Dave and I were talking about that on the way here today. And the Sunderland fans wished they were as vocal as us. We were very noisy that day. Anyway, whenever there was a quiet spell in the game, you could often hear the high-pitched chant. Watford! Watford! Uh, no, that was John doing the high pitch. Thanks very much indeed for that. <coughs> I often thought the chanting coming from the family terrace was a bit embarrassing for the Vicarage Road end, and that squeaky chant would often inspire the fans to sing just to drown out the noise coming from the family terrace. I also remember in the 80s when we were often beating the big boys. There used to be a young blonde boy in the family terrace. He must be close to 40 now. 
and whenever Watford were winning, he'd take his Watford top off and spin it around over his head. <laughs> I think he's tra- he's had a big money transfer to Newcastle. If I went there, that could have been me, but I never took my Watford top off. <laughs> you had blonde hair, Jason. That, I, I, yeah, I did have blonde hair when I was younger. And that always that always made a few of the Vicarage Road regulars laugh. I'm sure it would. It probably still made me laugh. But what an amazing place the the, the family terrace was. It we, w- we get the point. There was lots of kids there screaming and shouting, but. And I understand a little bit what, 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 what Orlando means when he says that, because I remember because the rookery end was at, back in those days the away end, yeah. and it was the only stand in Vicarage Road which had a had a roof, which of course any acoustic experts out there will will know <laughs> that that's how you make noise. It has to have to have something to bounce off, and it was always the away fans that would make the noise at home games, and there we'd be sat in the stood in the in the family terrace, desperate to sort of come back with some really noisy atmosphere and chants. We were all pipsqueak, sort of chanting exactly as Orlando points out. I, I actually remember though being in the, the the lower part of that family terrace when Bassett was involved and being told off for having negative for doing negative chants. It's not like you, Johnny. Anne Swanson, who was the 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 lady of the family enclosure and the junior hornets and everything back then. She, she ruled that place, absolutely ruled that place. And she came and said, that's not the thing to do, boys. And she gave us the values of what chanting about football should be about. That's stuck with you ever since. Yes, you so well we know. Now we know why you are eternally Swanson. optimistic. Yeah. Well done, Anne Swanson. Maybe I could do with a bit of intensive Swansoning. <laughs> the 33rd object we're going to put in is, well, it's not really a football object. It's a Joy Chinese takeaway menu. Matt Wilson Home emailed us telling us his to t- <laughs> I don't know. Wilson Home. Not Wilson Home. That one really is all over then, I do <laughs> He told us about his personal story about why he thought we should put a Chinese takeaway menu into our list. It's the little Chinese takeaway at the traffic lights just at the end of Vickers Road. And Matt told us why. Matt said, I used to live in Ingatstone in Essex. Due to parents' divorce, I moved there from Hemel as a 10-year-old. From the age of 14, I used to tell my mother I was Saturday shopping in Romford, but used to get the train to Liverpool Street across London and up to Watford to see the Hornets. Post-match, I used to wait for the Joy Garden to open and treat myself to a rice and soup, easy to eat with a spoon on the way to the station. (laughs) This went on until I was 18 when I moved back to the area in Oxy. For the record, I was allowed on my own on the train from 16, and it wasn't until I was 18 that I told my mother what I used to do. That is a brilliant story. That made me laugh when I first read that. Well done, Matt. Thank you. And that is what we want from this 100 objects list. It is a list of objects that are, yes, they are historic towards the club's history, but they are personal to you and you being a Watford fan. And getting a Chinese takeaway after a game to keep you going on your train journey back to Essex is brilliant. But, and, but isn't it interesting how all, a lot of these th- these objects actually link through to Watford today? A lot of them are historical, but we've, we've spoken to Nick Cox, and the thing he, he talks about was that Watford having youth and, and family and community is very, very hard. And that's that's still evident today, as, as it was back in the day with the, with the family terrace, which was, believe it or not, which was we were one of the first, if not the first, to have it in the country. And it, that, that sort of little, seems like a little thing now, looking back on it, a little bit of concrete, where families were encouraged to go and kids could be safe as long as they didn't, uh, didn't make negative chance, Tom Mooney. Um, and, but it, what a great feeling to know that that little thread, that little kernel is still here today and it's developed and, you know, that's set the tone for this football club. And, and that, that is why we've got, you know, we, we're safe coming here and I've brought my three-year-old daughter here time and time again. But it's also why, why we, we embrace the, the, the youth coming through as well. That's why we've had 50 
um, debutants come through from the academy and it all started from little things like that from little seeds <laughs> to, from little acorns to great oaks growth well, it's a great thing the, the, the Z Cars is, is piping up let's go and watch the game uh, and see if we can find maybe a few objects come out of this game probably not but who knows <laughs> read the musings and ramblings on the podcast blog at fromtherookeryend.com a, a quiet Vicar Road as Watford uh, finish with a 1-1 home draw against uh, Hull City Dave it's a bit of a game in the end I thought, that second, I thought something might start getting going when Mariapa went off this all went to pot it did I felt a bit sorry for him having been out for long and he looked like he hadn't played in a little while two late yes. challenges two yes. yellow cards CLIT he knew it was coming but yeah it's one of those games we were talking before that weren't hugely excited about given that we've not got much to play for and they had a little bit and the game kind of played out like that. It was, it was okay. It was solid, if unspectacular. I, I did feel, though, uh, Mike, that we, even though we were one down, we could, we could still got a win there. It was still a bit of fight. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think there's only one team in it towards the end, certainly. And uh, yeah, we came into it. As always, often the way playing against ten men is never easy. Has been, has been, has been borne out in game after game after game. But I think I'm a little bit frustrated about the Mariapa um, sending off because if we were playing for, for something at this stage, that his first booking came as a result of a sort of calamitous. 30 seconds of play where we gave mm-hmm. the ball away then there was an awful uh, awful first touch from the um, from the hole forward and then we had another chance to clear it didn't get it away and that ended up in uh, in Mariapa having to commit that that foul to, you know, in effect he took one for the team didn't he but if this was an important game those little those little mistakes creeping in I find quite quite frustrating but point to point against uh, Jay's pointed out quite an expensively assembled side another point in the bag no one's going home overly uh, aerated no. or overly excited. How I many thought. points did we get last season? 50, no, 60 uh, something? 63 or 64. So, we're so we beat him Mackay's first, first, first season, season total. Yeah. Um, we could still get there. But, but Jason, we were, we were chatting during the game. We said about how, as whole City is a team, um, they are a classic example of a team that aren't that... Yeah, there's, there's a couple of little extra passes and a little bit more thought and a little bit more... Preciseness, and they'd win a lot more games, and it's they're just another championship side, just a little bit out of the playoffs. Yeah, obvious they, reasons. They, they mix it up a bit, didn't they? They they showed that they could play on the floor, but a lot of the time they were sort of relying on that huge ball up in the air, um, trying to catch the strikers. I'm not sure what they were thinking of. They I tried a few over the top. I think they'd probably looked at Taylor and Nosworthy and thought they'd be able to beat for pace up front, but that never really. Mm played out they did get behind us a few times when we had Kushak to thank for it still being one or at half time um, and Nosworthy and Nosworthy yeah, were a lot, yeah. last, last ditch, 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 ditch challenges yeah, yeah he was on these games today so uh, so yeah yeah oh. it's tough to get too upset about isn't it not this point the year was it a great performance I don't think so but it's going to be tough for this group of players who will undoubtedly be be fairly knackered after after their exertions during the last month and what any, I don't care what anyone says when you are over the line and when you do know you're safe there has to be that element of you know that's a job done because it is you know and they wouldn't be human if they didn't think that you know if there wasn't an element of that crept in then no one would admit to it but you know the sun's out nothing really riding on it 
you know, what are you going to do? But well, we, we hopefully a man who probably uh, who, who has been the last month is uh, shone through in the last couple of months. Shone through. Shone through, yes. <laughs> no, uh, uh, Sean we're, uh, we're waiting to after the game and uh, hopefully we chat to him in a minute as we look towards the tunnel. For it shouldn't a, be a too Sean... long because he's got to be home, hasn't he? Might want him in by, uh, before uh, take-me-out starts. So. <laughs> we see where I'm last in the series last week, mate. Sorry. I'm From the rookery end. Uh, it's now Tuesday. We didn't. Well, we, we interviewed Sean Murray on uh, on Saturday, but it fell on deaf ears. <laughs> well, for some reason the iPhone recorded six and a half minutes worth of uh, of audio, but it was all silent. Damn you, Jobs! So <laughs> malfunctioning hardware. So we are waiting outside a blustery Amex Stadium. We didn't come here just to get another interview with Sean Murray. No, at no. That point now. We were coming anyway. But. Yeah, uh, and we are outside the Amex uh, with a two-two draw with Watford. Uh, away at Brighton, uh, two nil up. Let two goals in. Is that a bad thing, Mike? No, I think uh, you went two nil up. Very, we scored early with a Sean Murray free kick, vintage Murray, I think we like to call it. Outside the box, vintage Murray. Uh, and then uh, the well-deserved penalty from Deeney. I didn't think he was going to score it, but he did. He smashed it down the middle, Lampardesque, which was which was good. <laughs> so to go in at half time, two nil. Um, you're only going to be happy with that. Second half, Brighton fans very much got behind their side. It started to feel a. They, they only did when they scored. Yeah, well, it's often the case, isn't it? You okay. know, it's at home fans often need something. They need a spark to get going. But they did. They got behind the side and uh, they got a bit of momentum. And uh, unfortunately, it was uh, it was William Buckley, Bucko, who uh, who, got, who clawed them level after about I think it was about 18 minutes, 10 minutes ago. I think overall, ten, uh, a draw is a fair result. Watford battled really, really hard, maintained their shape, worked hard, battled hard. Um, and we're good for the good for the point. And, uh, the chap, chap walk past, he disagrees <laughs> clearly, but uh, everyone's entitled to their opinion, even fat men with walking sticks. <laughs> oh, no, no. Um, they were a very wide open team, and they uh, Brighton and could go ahead, and you could think, oh, you, you could score, yeah, the, the, but they were too wide and open, and they were very vulnerable. Uh, I, 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 it was it was an enjoyable championship game, wasn't it? Any, mm. Anything could have happened in that. You know, it wouldn't have been a surprise if Watford had nicked it, and it wouldn't have been a surprise if Brighton had nicked it. Uh, there wasn't a massive amount of quality out there, it has to be said. But uh, again, that's uh, that's you know that's the championship for you. Sometimes you, you get a, a barnstorming game, and that, that wasn't bad, I don't think. Well, Sean is. Uh, we're waiting outside the, the ground for Sean. Uh, we'll get an interview with him, and uh, let's see what he's got. It'll to probably say. be a warning now. It'll be very quick because it's absolutely <laughs> bloody freezing out here. Podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. Firstly, we're outside the Amex. Is it quite comfy down there? Yes, yeah, nice stadiums. <laughs> so, um, from the outside, it looks like it's um, big and it's going to have a lot of seats. But when you come in, it's a bit different to usual stadiums. It looks a bit like um, maybe a stadium in a different country you'd play in. But yeah. yeah, it's a really nice stadium and had a good feel to it and a great pitch. So, how, so how does it feel coming out as either sort of stadiums, presumably, you want to be playing at in the future? These sort of bigger stadiums, more people, bigger noise? Definitely, yeah. So, um, it's always a great atmosphere playing in like, stadiums like this. We've done well today, I thought. 2 2 draw of Brian, which. Bit, uh, this always feels a bit disappointing when you're two 0 up and you uh, let in two goals. But yeah, I thought we did okay. Of course, another uh, vintage Murray. Yeah, free, free kick. Yeah, well, it's a bit different this one because um, free kick. It wasn't really, a, it wasn't really a, like in the corners or anything. But the keeper just went the wrong way. So I don't know. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I was happy that it went in. Yeah, yeah. So you scored lots of goals so far. Uh, we say we have a joke, so we were calling Vintage Murray when you score from outside the box. Yeah. Do, what, do you have a, a favourite type of goal that you, you like to score? Well, when I'm on the left side, I usually like to cut in and uh, have a shot and just hopefully like whip it near to the far post. But I tried doing that today and it didn't really go to plan. It just went <laughs> flying off. But yeah, I like scoring goals like that. 
And so you know, it feels to us as Watford fans, you're now part of the first team squad. Does it start to feel like that for yourself now? Playing a few games recently, I feel like, yeah, I'm in part of the team at the moment. But um, definitely need to still um, keep uh, working hard and showing what I can do because it's obviously, um, it, there's, always, there's always players that want to be, be on the pitch. So I need to try and keep myself on the pitch and work as hard as I can to stay on the pitch. Was it tough for you to, because Watford fans knew about you for quite a long time, you, you were the name on everyone's lips for the, for the first half of the season really. Was it hard knowing that you were probably going to get that, that breakthrough? How did you sort of keep yourself going when you weren't getting into the squad, uh, but you knew you were, you were probably there or thereabouts? How do you keep yourself going? Well, just um, just always trying your best when you're playing, because um, you always don't, don't know who's who's watching your games. So even when you're playing youth team, like, you just got to try your best because there's always people watching and there's always people giving feedback to the other coaches. And I feel reserve games you always gives you a good opportunity because you can see the coaches there watching. And uh, I think like when I did get my few of my chances or getting into the squad, I think it was. Uh, like a couple of days after reserve games, so hopefully I'm impressed in them games. How, how, how big and different does like a first team game feel to just a reserve team game? I feel um, there's a, I think there's more riding on it, in the, obviously in the first team and the atmosphere and playing in the stadium. Do you feel pressure? I would maybe at the first few games I did, but then I feel I just feel comfortable now because all the other players help you out before the games, just giving you advice and telling you um, what you need to do and that. And uh, obviously I try and give myself give them some advice as well. Who's your, who's your your biggest brother, let's say, in the, in the squad, who's the, who's the sort of... Yeah, I'd say uh, Troy, Troy does help me out a lot, just giving me advice, because uh, he's played that, uh, he's been playing really well recently, and I uh, do look up to him because he scores a lot of goals, so uh, yeah, I'd say Troy's, Troy gives me good advice. And in terms of, just one last question, just in terms of how your, how your day-to-day life has changed from making that step up from the academy, then to the sort of the reserve team games and those sort of games, and now you're, you're a, a, an established member of the first team squad, what, how's your day different as a, as a football player? I feel um, from when I changed from going from the Harefield Academy to um, a lot of training as well. So it, I think it's changed less than, other, than I was if I was at another club because we all get the training time and you're around coaches a lot. So you come from that progression into the into the you know, youth team where you're training at, at, the, at UCL and you're still going to college on uh, two days a week. So it's not much different from breaking up from school. So I feel that was a bit the same. Now breaking into the first team, I feel... Um, it's pretty much the same, just come in and do your training and then you do still do your college work and that. So I think getting used to it beforehand has helped me a lot doing it now, so I think that's why it was a good progression. What is the college work that you do? What is it that you um, do? St MVQ and BTEC Sport. Okay. So uh, we go there full day on Monday and uh, afternoons on Wednesday and that just entitles in uh, doing sports work. You do coaching badges in that, health and safety courses and stuff like that, so it does help a lot. Okay. So if you're homework, do you go in and say... Uh, just Google Sean Murray on uh, YouTube. There's, there's my answer. <laughs> Not quite. Got something to send the boys? Then email podcast at fromtherookeryend.com. That's the end of uh, this month's podcast. Thanks uh, to Sean for the interview. Uh, thanks to Nick Cox for a huge amount of time that he spent with us. Yeah, and Ross, and Ross Wilson. And Ross good Wilson to hear from And also thanks to uh, David uh, Levy for being a uh, fabulous co-host on yeah, Saturday. He was, he was good. And getting involved. Um, we'll be back. Uh, for the uh, the end of season awards, our final podcast of I'm the, excited uh, about those. Well, I am because it's been a more celebratory year than I thought it was going to be. So there's been lots of celebrating going on at our awards. Yeah, we're good. It's good. Uh, that's all to come. That, well, I, I, I think we've just realised why Gavin Massey was brought back from his loan. 
to carry a flipboard with <laughs> massive A3 sheets of paper which are blown all over the place. He basically, that boy still wishes he's at Colchester United. <laughs> yeah, in cold Brighton. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, remember, follow us on uh, Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Rookery. Uh, on Twitter, uh, I'm John. I am Rookery John. That's Rookery with J O N. Uh, and I'm Rookery Mike. Rookery and, and you can get Jason, who's Jace Bailey. Thanks for listening as ever. Do tell your friends. It's the end of a, a, a decent season, Mike. So anything but relegation, I think we said, didn't we? And uh, we've done it. So, success. Well done, boys. Come on!